Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to take your seats. Thank you, Steve. Steve is the first. And Tracy. Thank you, Aaron. Peter. Nathan. Good morning, everyone. Let's make a start. Week 11. Week 11. And three times. Can we please take your seats? If you can't find some work to do, we'll find you some work, all right? Good morning, everybody. So we are reaching the end of our series on worship. Don't really feel that. We're about to start a five-week series on worldview. Not so excited about that either. Let's try it again. Worldview. Yay! Tremendous. Um, and I've asked Andrew if he and I would do that together so that I can get a break. <laughs> no, uh, just to, we're going to do that together. So we're going to be looking at different aspects of worldview. So to recap, this is the sixth week. Uh, this has been a series of messages that Dennis, Dennis authored, um, and it's been great. To, Dennis is a translocal leader with us. Uh, he's in Phoenix, in Phoenix in Arizona, and it's been great to, to, live, to deliver it. Do you remember the uh, is it Bruce Almighty? No? All right, moving swiftly on. So today we're talking about the presence of God in worship. The first week we were talking about the importance of worship. The next week was becoming worshipers. The third week was spirit and truth and what it means to be found by God. The fourth week, have I got it? No, that will be four fingers. This is not going well this morning. The fourth week, and I've only got five fingers, uh, understanding the dynamics, five stages of worship resulting in our transformation. And then the fifth week was who gets what from worship. This week, we are looking at the presence of God and, and our worship of him. So the presence of God as he comes among us whenever we worship him. So a lot of our services can be about preaching, teaching, singing a few songs, prayers, collecting the offerings. Um, Is that really what it's about? No. Well, I mean, those things are good in in and of themselves. But really, what's it really all about? So Anna and Isaac uh, are two children. They have all that they physically need. They have food. They have clothes. They have toys. They have beds. They've got all that stuff. Anybody could really provide that for them. They receive that as a result of our intimate um, and really unconditional love for them. But our voice, our hugs, uh, the way we look at them, whether it's a, or the, I'm going to kill you, like, you know that one when they just jump? Uh, Whether it's how we do things, our presence to them is completely and utterly unique. And I have to say that if Isaac stops coming off with profound things, I'm completely stuffed. So last night, uh, I was putting Isaac to bed. And uh, before we go to bed, we would always say to him, or say to them, him and Anna, what's been your favorite part of the day? It's actually quite a good question to ask, because it makes you, because you look at me and go, well, what's yours? And it's normally something silly, like we did this together, or that, or whatever it is. And he said everything. And I let him away with everything about once a month because he would just say that to get to sleep. Um, but anyway, he said everything. And then all of a sudden he started to weep and said, uh, when do you get a day off? And I said, yeah, pretty soon. And he just said, I really just want to be with you and then just want to be with all of you. He loves all the stuff that we give him. They all love all the stuff that we give him. But really, at the end of the day, what he's looking for is us. And that's why we're here, Surely. Um, we worship what we know. If we worship what we don't know, it's just religion. And I hate being asked that question, are you religious? No, I'm really not. I really am in the relationship because that's what's changed my life. And Claire always, when I do this, 
Apparently I'm making a profound point and I just did it there. So if you see me go, you're either my son and you're like, stop doing that or it's, that was just profound what I just said there. So it's all about him. Everything to do here is about him. If it's not, this is just a social club and I really don't have time for that. Uh, this is about him. So in a healthy family, the core of their health is real and intimate relationship and it's exactly the same here. So then what does it mean to really worship, worship God? Well, the purpose of worshiping has two primary reasons. One is that so we can express our love to God via praise and worship of him. And worship is first and foremost. And why is this critical to know? Well, John 4, 24, do you remember when we were looking at the woman at the well? God is looking for worshipers and those who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this means that worship cannot be about anything else but him. And if you're a bit like me, sometimes you come into worship because you really, you want to put your needs first or get your needs met. Now, your needs will absolutely be met, but only after we've put him first. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will follow. So whenever we put him first, and often it means, it's been my journey, it means that you've got to go, I've got to die to what I want to do and put him first. And then what do you know, everything else uh, comes along. But we can't fall into the trap of just worshiping him for what he's got. We've got to worship him for who he is. So whenever we are worshiping for our own needs, we're kind of really just worshiping ourselves because we're about getting our own needs met. So let's make it all about him and what he's got. Who he, not what he's got. Who he is, what he's done for us and why we're here. We've always got to come back to that true north. So we need his perspective. We've got to get his perspective on this. And if we are worshiping from any other place than about him, then we're just doing it from the wrong place. We need to lose ourselves in this process. Again, Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for God's sake will find it. So we've got to let go of what we want, of what we like, and worship him. Whether it's, I don't like that song, I don't like how they do that, I don't like the fact that they raise their hands, I don't like this, I don't like that. Please, in love, whenever anybody says, I want to say this to you in love, you can embrace yourself, don't you? What's he going to say? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And really, the sooner that we realize that, the easier that this whole process is going to be. As long as we're defending what we like, how we think it should be, how we think it should go, then we're always going to be buttoned up against it. But the minute that we go, okay, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to make this all about you. Then we're on the journey. So 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength that God gives them, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So we've got to deal with our motives. We've got to understand why we're standing there. Now, if you come to the conclusion, well, actually, most of my life, I've been worshiping just for me, that's all right. We've come to that conclusion. So from that point on, we just step over that bit and we go, okay, today I choose to make it all about you. So the process of finding out our motives is not one of being condemned. Remember, if you're in Christ, then there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
So if condemnation comes, you kick it out. Second Corinthians 10.5, hold every thought captive and lead it away in obedience to Jesus Christ. Use the analogy last week like a five-point note. If you want to check if it's genuine, hold it up to the sun. If the watermark's there, then you can use it. But if it doesn't stand the test of the sun, then you kick it out. So don't let this become about accusation and condemnation. This is just about learning and discerning where we're at. So, I've said this before, Psalm 22, verse 3. Yet, well, let me do this version. Uh, God inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship him in spirit and in truth, he comes among us. And that's why I'm here. Is that why you're here? We want, we want him to be around us, don't we? That's the reason why we come and worship him, because we want his presence among us. We've got to know that our greatest need is for God himself. Just like Isaac, he may want stuff, and that's okay. We have God needs. They are legitimate. But at the end of the day, we need him. And we start, when we start from that place, when we put him first, then we really can't lose. So why does God require that we worship him? Is it just because he's selfish? No, we need him. He knows, he knows that we need him. His provision to meet our need is to worship him. He knows that the answer to the problem that we have is not found in and of ourselves. I said this, uh, I think, last week. The 23rd Psalm. So it's all about being led by the shepherd. It's as you are led by the shepherd that you get transformed and changed. And verse 3 is, he restores my soul. But we cannot sort ourselves out for ourselves. We haven't got it within us, but as we go after him, as we step over our wants and desires, because actually he's going to give us the things that we really want and desire. As we step over ourselves and go on that journey, then what we need and the needs that we have will be absolutely met. So in simplicity, God has designed that we need to worship him and our needs are met when we worship him. Psalm 95 verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And Psalm 95 6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. Now my experience is that whenever I kneel down, I am standing up the tallest that I've ever stood. Because I am in the place where I actually am yielded. And God is not about, just you get down there, just, just you. It's not about possession authority that he just goes, you just need to get down there. We are meant to be in a place of yieldedness because he wants to raise us up. You'll find that if you take, uh, Jesus said this, that if you're going to go uh, out for a meal and you take the, the place, the head of the table, when you're not given it, then you're asked to move down. Sorry, your place is actually there. But the, blessed, the best and maybe blessed place to be is whenever you take a place, a lower place, and you're moved up to the head. So let's let God exalt us. Let's humble ourselves so that he can lift us up in due time. Because I don't want to pull myself into a place where I'm standing where I shouldn't be. I want to be in the place that he has for me. And he's not about to condemn us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to make us strong. Did you know the disciples had the argument about who was going to be the greatest among them? Why do you think that they had that argument? Because when they got around Jesus, they were thinking, oh my goodness, I, I'm actually pretty good. 
Did you ever think about that? It's not about the fact that they got around Jesus and they walked away going, I am the lowest of the low. He pointed to them and said, you, you have so much potential. You could do this. You could do that. Your life is full of possibility. Come on. Come on up higher. So as we yield ourselves, as we die to ourselves, as we get over that thing that really annoys us, we find that actually our lives are full of possibility and we're greater than we, we thought that we honestly were. So his sufficiency and ultimately his presence is all sufficient for our needs. He is absolutely enough. And if we seek him first, then we get everything else in return. So what is the identifying mark of God's people? Have you got, if you've got your Bibles with you, whether on your phone or whether it's a hard copy, let's go to Exodus 33 and we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 initially. So this is verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart from here, you and the people who you've brought up from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it to them. And I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, Hivite and the Jebusite. Now, if you start digging into those names, they all mean something. The first of them being Canaanite is about fear and terror. So one of the first people or things that he will drive out of your promised land is fear and terror. Terror. If that whets your appetite, then you can uh, Google a lexicon and I'll start to give you what uh, those different names actually mean. So they're not just there for ge- geographical uh, designation. He then says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. So God's pretty much saying, here's everything that I've got for you. It's going to be great. It's flowing with milk and honey. The fruit that they brought back was amazing. He's saying, this is your land, but I'm not going to go with you because basically I can't take it anymore, is what God's saying. Does that terrify anybody else? So why didn't they just go? Somebody came in today and said, well, you know, if I said to Isaac, okay, you're going to have, we're going to give you all of the money that you want, you're going to have all the toys that you ever want, and you can do whatever you want all the time. He might go for a minute, that sounds like a great plan. No, no and Isaac, he'd probably go, are you coming with me? But why don't they just go? Why did Moses just not say, all right? Because he wanted God to be with him because he'd spent time with him and he knew actually that he didn't want to be in any promised land that God wasn't. I want to do a quick aside about the desires of our hearts. We were talking a little bit about this uh, in small group. So often if you've got something that you really, really want, you go hammer and tongs after it. Am I right? Anybody else? You just set your face like flint. You go in that, that direction. You'll actually pay a price for other things because you want that thing. So that's what we would tend to do. So when... Again, this is another slight aside. When Claire and I first got married, I would have said that I was an introvert, meaning that I would derive my energy from being by myself. And I would have said that Claire was an extrovert, as in she derives her energy from being with other people. So let me fast forward to about three years on from when we were first married. I think I've said this before. We were walking together in Phoenix. Uh, We'd been together for three days, hadn't seen really another soul. And at that moment I thought dear God give me somebody else to talk to at that very moment Claire on the other side said this is just the best time of my life just the two of us together so I'm really not an introvert I'm a total another extrovert 
When I'm on my own too long, it's not good. Whenever I was on my own, uh, when we had our own business, for my business partner was on maternity leave, I started wandering to talk to people. Customers came in and I would go, how are you? Are you well? Did you have a good weekend? What do you think of the photographs? How's everything? Love the coat that you're wearing. Just talk to me. So when we started marriage, I thought that I was an introvert. Why did I tell you that? Well, because I think a lot of the time we don't really know what we want. We don't really know what we desire. I wanted to be an artist, travel the world, exhibit all my stuff. Oh, that would be just it. If I had that, that would just be wonderful. I couldn't really care less if I never painted again. I went to see uh, Claude Monet's Water Lilies after I'd had that experience with God. I was driving along in the car. I was about 18 years old. car filled up with this love, and I was just totally and utterly ruined. Ah! <laughs> driving along. Don't really know how I got there. After that experience, I went to see the Claude Monet Water Lilies in the Tate Modern in London, and I thought, this is just going to be amazing. And I stood in front of it and thought, it's just a bit of paint on the canvas. Because it met God, <laughs> just was stuffed for anything else. Just was just just didn't really do it anymore. So if we delight ourselves in God, it says in Psalm thirty-seven four, delight yourself in God, and delight literally means to live or to spend in enjoyment. If you delight yourself in God, He will give you the desires of your heart. Did you ever think that it takes for Him to give you your desires because we don't really know what they are? And it's the process that as we spend time enjoying him, worshiping him, prioritizing his presence, that actually we become changed. We are exactly like a stained glass window in the dark. Whenever the sunlight comes, all of the colors come out. So as we spend time in his presence, all of the God colors, all of the stuff that he's put within you, all the potential that you have starts to shine out. And in this community, you should have people coming up to you going, I just noticed this about you. I just, I, I saw this about you. Do you see when you did that, that was just, you see when you put your arm around me, you see when you said that to me? Because when he's present, then all of the colors will start to come out. So we want to prioritize his present because whenever we delight ourselves in him, then we're going to get the very delight of our heart that sometimes we don't know. I think that he wants to take us to the place where we really are self-aware and we do know who we are. But when we start out the journey, if you're like me, you don't really know what you want. And if somebody said to you, what do you want? You might go, world peace. <laughs> we don't know. So as we spend time with him, we find out those things. Okay, let's get back to Moses. So God, God's offer was go into the promised land, have a nice life, but have it without me. And Moses said, not a chance. So the question has to be asked, why did God not want to be among them? Well, he said that they were obstinate. And what does obstinate mean? It means that they were fixed and unyielding, despite reason or persuasion. Can anybody else put their... <laughs> anybody want to own that one? Yes, that's correct. I am an obstinate, fixed, unyielding. I am not going to be reasoned with, and I will not be persuaded. There was a reason why they were like that. So they had 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And as they were slaves, in their DNA was deposited a, a really a, an acceptance that they were rejected and that they should reject and mistrust authority. I think our culture is pretty much the same. When you think about our history, our history has been one of the troubles. Our history has been one of, can you trust that person? 
Can you trust what they're going to say? Northern Irish politics? What about that car? I mean, how many times was it on the news 20 years ago? Uh, somebody stepped into a car, turned it on, there was a mercury tilt switch and it blew up. It's just pervaded this suspicion and distrust in our culture. Now, if we yield ourselves to that culture, then we're going to bring that into church. And that's all right if you're going to bring that in here, but you can't leave with it. We don't want to be those people. I told you that I, I started a, a job recently, and we are told uh, that we, we have people from all over the world coming to visit us. So we're told that we have to have our heads up and our faces open and smiling. And any other, Americans are brilliant. You say good morning, they go, good morning, how are you? Have you had a good day? You say good morning to someone from Northern Ireland, they go... Honestly, across the board, I was talking to a, a lady who's been doing that job for three years, and she said everybody in the world responds to smiling faces apart from our own. They all think, what do you want? What are you trying to sell me? I don't want this. I could ask somebody in the shop, can I help you there? And they're like, no, not a chance. I'm not even going to buy what I was going to buy. And to be honest, I would be that individual. It's just, it's just the way we are. But we're not about being submitted to our culture. We want to be submitted to a kingdom culture. And the kingdom culture, he flows through authority. So if that's something that you really, really struggle with, you're probably in very good company. But please don't yield yourself to that because we need to yield ourselves to him and submit ourselves to him. Also, the Israelites' hearts were hardened. They had had a life of hardship and trouble, even though God had rescued them. Don't forget also that they had been led through the Red Sea. They had literally walked through the sea with walls of the ocean beside them. And if you watch the, the Prince of Egypt, you know, the, the Disney version, fantastic version, you see the whales, and that probably happened, the whales kind of swimming up to the sides. Maybe that's artistic license. For me, I reckon there were whales, all right? You can take it up with me later. Yeah, anybody else with me? I think there's whales too. They had walked through that. They had seen a path blown through the sea. They knew who God was, or they, well, maybe they didn't. They saw the fire by day, or fire by night, and the cloud by day. They had had all these amazing experiences, but because of their past, they still had all of this trouble. So we all bring our baggage when we come to worship, and that's all right, but we can't leave with it. Egypt, they had left Egypt, but Egypt hadn't left them, so it's possible to be in the promised land, but still be in slavery, and we don't want to be about that. We've got to overcome ourselves and we've got to overcome our past to, to, to dwell and live in the land that God promises. He promised it. But in the end, really, we need the promise giver with us to be able to enjoy it to, to its full extent. So Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If you are known by God, uh, I think sometimes you can do a wee bit of negotiating with him. Sometimes you'll hear the, no, I told you no. Other times, he wants you to ask him. It's like that with our children, isn't it? Sometimes you'll, they'll say, can I do this? And you go, no, not a chance. And then they'll say, oh, please. And you go, oh, all right. We want to have that type of relationship with him. We want to know that he knows us, and we want to know that we know him and we're known by him. 
Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What distinguishes us as a people is his presence with us. Moses prioritized God's presence. Everybody turn and look at that wall over there. Prioritizing God's presence, that is what we are all about. So as we prioritize his presence, he is increasingly among us, which distinguishes us as his people. Okay, so Moses tells God, I need some help here, and God responds. We want to know God, and we want to know his ways, and we want to be known by God. This is from Psalm 84.10. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper or stand at the threshold of the door of God's house than live a good life in the homes of the wicked. And Psalm 37.16-17. This is a head, head melter and also when I read it, slightly disappointing. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Ooh. Ooh, suck on that one for a while. So I remember saying to God, so you're telling me that it's better that I have 10 quid than a billion? Well, it is if he's given the 10 quid. If he's given me a billion, I'll take it too. But if he's handing you out a 20 pound note and you're looking at everybody else and they've got 20 grand in their account, you want the 20 quid that he's given you because verse 17 says, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And he will take you through that place. He's gonna take you to places really that you don't wanna go to show you that he is enough. You know, we gotta delight ourselves in God to get the desires of our heart because we need to be the type of people that actually we're more delighted with him than we are with the things that he gives us, even though it's lovely to have the stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with the stuff. But if your heart is finding its security in the stuff, eventually you'll be stuffed. There was a lot of stuffs. But if your heart is finding your uh, security in him, then you're going to be all right because it means then if your house burns down or that's taken away, that may be very, very difficult. It's not taken away from that. But your security is ultimately in the one who gave it to you. Just the same, if your journey's been one that you find your security in other people's smiles, so if, if people are annoyed with you, your world's falling apart, well, sometimes we all know you've got to do those difficult conversations or there's got to be those places where people are annoyed at you. I have this T-shirt that we've got to be able to go, my security and emotional security is in you, Jesus. It's not in what other people think of me. It's not in the fact that those people said that about me. It's about what he thinks of me because ultimately that's all that really, really matters. So in saying all of that and in conclusion, if you guys want to come up, that'd be great. If we as a people are passive about worship, as in we don't really care that much, God's presence will not be with us. We don't want to get absorbed in ourselves and what we think we need. We want to be absolutely and totally and utterly sold out and absorbed in him. So we need an advocate to God 
as Moses had, as they had with Moses, and we have Jesus Christ. A little bit later on in that passage, God, Moses, on a roll, says, "I'd like to see you." God said, "Okay, I'm going to pass by with my glory, but you need to stand on this rock, and then I'm going to cover you over with my hand." He stood on a rock, and we've got to do exactly the same. Jesus was referred to as the rock. So when we come to worship, we are standing on and only able to stand on what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And when he did that, it was finished and fixed. So we've got to stand on the revelation of that. As we do then, we are distinguished as God's people and we are distinguished as worshipers. His presence is with us and we have his favor and we begin to understand his ways. Can I ask you to stand with me? So as always, I've got some questions for your consideration as you uh, respond. We want to, every time that we speak, call you to respond so you can receive what God's given. So in saying all that I've said about us not going, well, I don't like that or want that, if God's serving something, I want to be eating it. If it's spam, it may not look that attractive, but if it's God's serving it, you want to eat it. If it's a five-star meal, we'll all be rushing up. But it's him, so we want to eat whatever he's serving. So if you're done with chasing and satisfying your own needs, do you want to give God all that you've got? Do you feel that it's just been you've given him a little bit rather than the whole heap of who you are and what you've got? And do you want to experience his presence today? If you can answer yes to any of those If you can't answer any of them, join me anyway. Come and join me at the front now. So we're going to worship for a time. And then the team are going to minister. So come, Holy Spirit, come and increase your presence among us this day.